0: In the name of God, who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. As we near the end of this season, our texts today sort of take a dramatic turn and begin to prepare us for the season of Advent. You likely noticed that in the hymns so far as well. We've made a a shift here and we'll make more of a shift in a few weeks when Advent actually comes. But in this particular year, there's this weird little segment that feels like Advent before we get to Advent. So that's where we are. This parable is one that is often interpreted pretty simply and thematically to fit in with that Advent theme. It's usually held up as a text that is a warning that we should stay alert, that we should be awake, that we do not know when the Messiah is coming. Surely that's very obvious in the text that I just read. And it's a theme that we'll continue to hear in the next few weeks, especially in Advent, as we make our way to Christmas. We hear this warning from Jesus himself, actually, several times. Now, surely early believers and then early Christians believed that Jesus was going to come back sooner than he has. They expected that he would be here long before now. And so this message of of alertness and urgency and readiness had a different tone to them than it might to us sitting here 2,000 years later. But the message is the same, that as believers, we do not know when he's coming. So we need to have this sense of urgency about doing the right thing and living the right way and squaring our life away in lots of ways, making sure that our relationships are in good shape when he arrives. And of course, the undergirding of The gospel you just heard, and of all the texts today, is the idea that mixed in with that alertness, there is also this sense of judgment that is coming. The idea that there will come a time when Jesus returns, and that at that moment, the world, and all of us who are still in it, whether that's us or the next generation, will be judged, which is really what the parable is about this morning. This parable claims to be about a wedding. It is not. The wedding is just an image for the kingdom of heaven, like so many of the other parables that we've heard really in the last two months as we've moved our way through the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is still here doing this this contrast between what the kingdom of heaven is and what the world is. So you can tell that for Matthew, it's really, really important that his audience understands the difference between what God is trying to do and what the world is trying to do. And how if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then you're meant to live in a very particular way as creatures who maybe live in this world, but are not of it, not caught up in it, not obsessed with it, but rather have our minds and our hearts fixed on something else, on someone else. And while there's nothing wrong, with that sort of superficial level interpretation that we need to stay awake and be alert and be prepared, it is a little too simplistic, I think, for this parable because we aren't yet in Advent and that isn't the only call here. It neglects an important piece of the work that I think the gospel is asking us to do this morning. And it's equally as important as this warning and encouragement And if Jesus goes out of his way this close to the end of his life to talk to us about it, we perhaps ought to try to pay attention to it. There's a couple of things that we need to do that. A close reading of the Greek gives us two specific things that I think are helpful in terms of this image. First, what the women were filling with oil probably looked a lot more like torches than lanterns. It may have been that they had cloth wicks or that they were actually cloth soaked with oil on top of you know, some kind of stick that they were holding and that they would be holding for the procession. But it's likely that it wasn't exactly what we're thinking of when we think about oil lamps or lanterns, right? It's, it's not the same thing and it's probably something where the oil would have burned much, much faster. So you would have needed a lot more of it to be able to sort of get through the night. Now it was unusual that the bridegroom was delayed. They weren't expecting that, so that's fair. But they needed a, a lot more oil because what they were using probably was burning a lot faster. And while we're talking about that, let's talk about the women. In the Greek, these are young women. They aren't bridesmaids. That's a interpretation, that's a, a helpful thing supposedly from the translator, which I myself don't find particularly helpful. Bridesmaid to me calls up that image of you know seven or eight women standing in a line all in the same dress, right? That's not what this is at all. These women are the relations, so the family relations or the good friends of the woman who's about to be married. So that part is true, but this is their duty. This is not like these are my five best friends that I've asked to do this thing this is something that all of the women in the life of the bride were expected to do in the ancient world weddings were profoundly different and one of the things that was always true across geography and across time is that everyone had a role in these weddings everyone every member of the family every member of the party everyone who came had some kind of role even if it was just As we heard a few weeks ago in the last parable about a wedding to dress the right way everyone had a role and a responsibility so in this case these women this was their duty that they owed to the bride that they had to do that they were expected to do that custom dictated they did it was not just an honor that someone asked them to do it had weight to it and when they saw the bridegroom, what would happen is they'd have this big procession where they'd hold up their torches and they'd walk into the hall and that was the beginning of the feast. That, that cued everyone else in to the fact that it was starting. They announced his arrival. They announced that the time had come. So this was all very, very prescribed and everyone took it really seriously. And the text is clear to say here that there are five foolish and five wise bridesmaids. And the difference is that the women who are wise bring their torch or their lamp plus extra oil to spare. And the women who are foolish, or perhaps maybe here thoughtless is a better word than foolish. And the Greek is a little ambiguous, so I, I like thoughtless better. They didn't think through it. They don't bring anything but their lamp, and so they are not prepared. And I think what we might argue here is that they're not intentional enough. They're not thoughtful enough. They, maybe some of them don't care enough, but that sounds a little judgmental, so maybe in a lot of ways it's just that they didn't think through it. They didn't take the time to think about what they were about to do, even though it was a responsibility. They weren't ready. They didn't act in a way that was intentional around preparing, around their duty, around what was expected of them. And because of that, they missed out on the whole thing. They missed the bridegroom coming and they were shut out of the feast. This, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is not an easy passage and it is not an easy image. But it has a clear message, and I think a clear question for each one of us. We're gonna start with the message, with the lesson of the parable. It's akin, I think, actually to the blessing that I've been using at the end of the service during this season where we are paying attention to creation care. And you've heard me say it a couple of times now, it's about lighting a holy fire. Light a fire that is worthy of your ancestors, worthy of your children, worthy of your parents, worthy of God. Light a fire that is worthy. Now, though we move through the year together, and though we as Christians, and specifically as Episcopalians, we believe in corporate salvation, meaning we believe that salvation comes to us as a people, that God has already won. Though we believe in corporate forgiveness, What this text is calling us to attend to is that those things can't be an excuse for us. Each one of us, though we are in community, still have work to do. It's sort of like being an athlete on a team. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul likes the athlete metaphor. It works really well for Christianity and for a journey with Jesus. If you're on a team that's pulling in the same direction, you certainly can benefit from the strength of the rest of the team, right? but you also need to be able to do your own work. This was true um, certainly in my life when I was a swimmer. Folks don't often think about that as being a team sport, but if you know the sport well enough, you know that in many contexts it actually is. And the team did well if we all did well individually. Right? If we all pulled our own weight, if we all individually won and did our best times and did the best that we could, then the team did well as well. But in order for that to happen, I had to actually get in the pool and practice and train and work really hard. I had to actually push my own lungs and strain my own muscles and get out of my own bed at 4.30 in the morning, right? No one was going to do that for me. There were benefits that came with being on the team, but I couldn't just imagine that their practicing would cover my lack of practicing, right? I still had to do my own work. And in many ways, I think that what Jesus is saying in this parable is the same. This parable wants to make it clear that at the end, it does matter whether or not we have done our own work, whether or not we have been intentional about our faith and our journey to God and our journey with God, and the work that God has given us to do. It does matter whether or not we have used the gifts that we've been given to build up the kingdom. Now, as Christians, we believe that each one of us is called to continue Jesus' work, and that at our baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift gives us a tremendous amount of strength and comfort and compassion and transformation and all kinds of other things, and it also opts us into a significant amount of work, which as Episcopalians, we sort of cram into the baptismal covenant, which you've seen many times, I hope, where we promise to love and serve all people and respect the dignity of every human being and come to this table to receive and be part of a spiritual community and be fed by word and sacrament. All of these promises hopefully that you know very well. And what this parable is trying to say is that it matters that we do that individually. It matters that we use the gifts we have all throughout our life and in all our relationships to help other people find the hope that is Jesus. To build systems of justice, to set the oppressed free, to serve the marginalized and feed the hungry and care for the poor and all of those sort of lofty things that we hear about in scripture. It matters. It is our duty as Christians in the way that it is the duty of these women to wait for the bridegroom and to announce his arrival. All of it is expected of us in the same way that it was expected of them and the preparation is on us. And I want to just pause here for a second and say that to be clear, it's not expected of us just because, right? This is not a God said so kind of moment. It's expected in large part, maybe entirely even because that is how we get to the feast. Because that duty, that intentionality, that thoughtful action, that willfully choosing transformation and trying to walk the road with Jesus and trying to love and serve our neighbor, that is how we find ourselves in the midst of abundance. That is how we find ourselves miraculously and suddenly and often very much without our own conscious awareness at the feast with God in the midst of the festival claiming our seat at the table ready and waiting because we have tried with our whole heart to do what God asked us to do. It's that simple. It's not about earning our way in, it's about the fact that when we choose to live that way, we very often find ourselves surprisingly in the midst of it. The flip side of that with these women that I would again characterize maybe more as thoughtless rather than foolish is that if we aren't intentional we tend to miss it if we don't make time if we don't focus on it if our relationship with God is not a priority if we don't choose to sort of come to church and be part of spiritual community and live out our baptismal covenant in community it's not so much in my opinion that we're shut out as the text says so we have to look at that and contend with that but for me in a more modern interpretation, what I would say is it just means that we miss it. That we don't see it. That we're too distracted and too caught up and too tired and too lost in the brokenness of the world to let ourselves see and claim and, and know the goodness of God. And so even, even sometimes when it's right in front of us, if we're too distracted, we can't have it. Sometimes of our own choosing, right? We don't let ourselves have it. Instead, we have to sort of walk that road of transformation and choose to weave the good news of God into our life every step of the way to take our place at the table. So here's the question then. What is your oil? If you are expected to light a fire and welcome Jesus to announce his coming into the world, if you are expected to lead the way as a Christian into the abundance and join him in the festival and join him at the table and join him in the work and then carry his light into the world, what is the oil that you have been given to share, the oil that lights your fire, the oil that lets you share your light? What is it that you can contribute to the feast? Now, there are a lot of answers to that question for each and every one of us, and they are not the same as the person who's sitting near you. There are a lot of answers because we have many gifts. God has given each of us, including at the moment of our baptism, many, many gifts in order to build up the kingdom of God. So this oil is not just one thing. But this week, I want you to consider The work that Jesus is calling you to do and the oil that you already have within your being. The oil that you are being called to carry and light on fire. With what gifts are you able to create something that is worthy of our ancestors and worthy of our parents and worthy of our children and worthy of God? With what gifts are you able to be intentional? to be ready for Jesus so that you can have that abundance that God wants us to have, not just then, but now. Both in terms of the end that this text foresees, but also in terms of the the little ways that we know that Jesus breaks into our life every day. If we're careful enough and mindful enough and thoughtful enough to notice. What is your oil? What do you bring to the table that only you can bring? And how bright a fire are you burning for God? Amen.